Welcome to Life Changes the Podcast. My name's Rob Perfield, and I work with individuals, teams, and organizations to help them develop, improve their performance, and solve their problems. For more information about me, visit robperfield.com. Today's guest is someone that I've known for nearly 20 years. I've had the pleasure of working with him, and I can tell you that Steve Phillip. He's a first-class trainer and coach, and in recent years, he's become renowned as the go-to person to help you unlock and get the most out of your LinkedIn presence and your social media marketing. However, at 4.22pm on December the 4th in 2019, Steve received a call that, in his own words, would change his life forever. It was a call that no one would want to receive. And it was from the girlfriend of his 34-year-old son, Jordan. And the purpose of the call was to tell him that Jordan had taken his own life. Now, Steve's been very open about the impact Jordan's suicide has had on him and those close to him. Uh, And since that phone call, Steve's put his energy into ensuring that we as a society, uh, and employers in particular, are doing everything we can to reduce the number of suicides in Britain. There are nearly 6,000 suicides a year in this country, and over 4,000 of those are men. And in today's conversation, I talked to Steve about the immediate aftermath of Jordan's suicide, the impact on him and the immediate family, and why Steve decided to create the Jordan legacy. It's an extraordinary story and an important reminder for all of us to be vigilant and make sure that we spot the signs and provide the appropriate support to those who may need our help. Now, before I plead for you to rate and review the podcast, which will enable us to get this message out to as many people as possible, once you've listened to Steve and his story, I urge you to go back and read the show notes for this episode uh, and visit the Jordan Legacy webpage, which is thejordanlegacy.com. Steve's a genuinely nice guy, and his courage in sharing this story must not be wasted. So let's take note of the message from Steve, and let's do everything that we can to help. Steve, hi, how are you doing? Welcome to Life Changes, the podcast. It's great to have you here. Um, And I've got to say, this is one that I've really been looking forward to uh, producing because I think it's going to add a lot of value to a lot of people's lives. How are you doing? Yeah, good morning, Rob. Uh, Good good, good to see you and uh, looking forward to the chat this morning. Good, terrific. Just before we get into the meat of the conversation, um, just for the benefit of the listeners, the people who don't know you, can you give us a bit, bit of a background of who you are and how you come to be doing what you're doing these days. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so a, a career that uh, probably for the first 20 or 30 years, uh, which is already aging me, uh, was spent predominantly in the automotive industry and in, in sales management and senior management before moving into uh, into the world of consultancy and, and training, which I'd, I'd done for many years. And that ultimately led to me forming a business in an unlikely uh, environment of social media training, uh, LinkedIn and other social media platforms to businesses in the UK and overseas. 
which I formed in 2009 and uh, up until the December of 2019 was, was still successfully running. Um, and then at that point, my, my life changed quite dramatically um, when I received a call on December the 4th, 4.22 in the afternoon uh, from the girlfriend of my son, Jordan, 34 years old, to, to tell me that she'd come to Jordan's home to discover uh, tragically taken his own life and um, in that instant as you can imagine my world changed everyone's world associated with us changed dramatically um, and, and that led to obviously a period of time of dealing with what we had to, to, to deal with yeah. or then um, uh, making a, a decision as to what I was going to do with kind of the rest of my my life going forward really yeah so I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's a really difficult one for most people to be able to conceive, you know. I mean, that's that's the call that nobody would ever want. In terms of the immediate aftermath, what 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 actually did, did you go through for the you know the next three six months after receiving that call? Obviously, you have all the details to have to sort out with, you know, a Jordan passing away, then sorting out the funeral, and then sorting out the estate, and just all the little bits and pieces that go around. Yeah. But actually. I would think, you know, and I, I've done that for my parents, but to be fair, you know, my parents were in the late 70s. They'd had an innings and, you know, we all die when we get old. To have to do that for for, for a, your 34-year-old son must have been awful. What what was the first three to six months like for you? Yeah, I mean, well, I think all the things you've described are exactly what happened. We, you know, and I took on that responsibility because other members of the family were just not able to for obvious yeah. reasons. Um so, yeah, so dealing with all Jordan's affairs and, and, and dealing with coroner's offices and, and um, all that went on with that, you know, the practicalities of dealing with that and the emotional impact. You know, I experienced, uh, obviously, trauma of, of levels that, that other family members and friends did and, you know, which manifested themselves in physical symptoms that that, that I had. So, so I went through all, all that and although mentally I was keeping myself together pretty well I, I visited the doctors I guess I was on sleeping medication because I was struggling to sleep um uh, in those first few months particularly um but to all intents and purposes I kept myself together mentally so I didn't feel I needed any kind of counseling or support uh, in that respect so that led me to within a matter of weeks sort of kind of reflect on what had happened and and um and suddenly thought, well, you know, how do we reach this point? Um, why didn't I know, you know, all the questions that, that came out, you know, why didn't I anticipate this? Uh, and the and media thought was, how do I possibly prevent this happening to other to other people? Um, because nobody else should have to go through what we're experiencing. So within a matter of, of, of three weeks, I kind of shared the story in the immediate aftermath of, of what had happened and some of the issues that we were having and challenges uh, via a LinkedIn post that um, it was an article that I published that subsequently went global and had a huge uh, reach to all kinds of people from psychologists to um, even the likes of Ariana Huffington emailing me one morning and uh, mm. uh, and many people uh, also who've been going through and have gone through the same experience, including those that were considering taking their own lives. And it was at that moment that I thought, whoa, I'm not sure I'd kind of anticipated. And as the weeks went by and I started to share more 
about our experience, um, those kinds of messages came in and, and I kind of realized that I had to respond to those, but respond in a careful and considered way. Um, and that led to me um, talking to the family and friends and creating what we now know as the Jordan Legacy. Uh, and initially, what was going to be a signposting website uh, to provide advice, which I had to seek myself, not being a mental health expert. So, you know, we were giving the basic guidance, if you like, of if you're in trouble or you know someone who is, here are some resources and support places you can go to. Um, and that was the initial starting point back in March of last year. Yeah, I think actually you raise a good point there, and I was th- I was thinking about this the, the, this morning we, before we came online. In the when when you watch programs on TV that touch on sensitive topics, they they always end with if you've been affected by any of the topics discussed here, then here's a contact place. And and coming into this conversation with you, a I was kind of trying to box off my sensitivity and I know that you're you're open to talking about these things but I thought actually you know that that um that warning should be at the front not at the end um so on that basis if if as we go through this and we are going to touch on I, I would think for some people some sensitive stuff anybody who feels as though they're affected by this anybody who's kind of you know you said you've had responses from people who have felt like taking their own life or people who are struggling. And I, I have no idea. We have no idea who's going to end up listening to this. If they get to a point at any, you know, when, when they're listening to this, where, where would they go for support? Where would you send them? Yeah, I think that's really important, Rob, uh, that, that um, you know, people understand that they may be affected. And they, they, I mean, first of all, I think you go and talk to somebody you trust, and that could be a family member or a friend, so, you know, who do you know that you could just say, look, I've, I've kind of listened to this and uh, it, it's kind of impacted me. I just wanted to share this with someone. So I think, you know, the simplest thing is, first of all, don't necessarily need to go to A&E or a doctor or, you know, anything like that. But but just find someone you trust who, who you can you can talk to. If, um, on the other hand, this has had a real impact on you and there's been a number of documentaries we've seen lately that you know really, I know, impacted some people close to us that we know. And it, it could be that, that they need to speak to somebody more profession, professionally. Um, and that's probably going to be at, at the initial level, your GP, somebody of that nature. But then look at the many, um, you know, the, the many websites and support resources that are out there. And actually, if you come to the Jordan Legacy website, the jordanlegacy.com, and see the help menu at the top, there are lots of uh, drop down menus of different situations where you might have experienced. Some kind of challenge with mental health or something like that. Uh, there are lots of resources there that you could go online and and get some support. Yeah, I think I, I think that's where I was going with it. Some, somewhere specific, a start point really, because because I think there's lots of general advice where people, you know, and you say go and talk to somebody that that you know and you trust, but actually that's a really difficult thing to do, isn't it? Because I mean, you, you had you had a good relationship with Jordan, didn't you? It wasn't that mm-hmm. it wasn't that Jordan couldn't come and talk to you. You know, it wasn't that you hadn't helped him through the difficulties of life up to that point. So, so you must have ruminated on how how did he not come to talk to you, and why why don't people in that situation talk to those who are next to them? Yeah, I, I think it's, there's there's a lot, pride, particularly for men. I think is a is a big issue. The whole stigma around any sign of weakness in men, yeah, you know, it's been there for generations, hasn't it, Robin? Uh, 
Um, so initially, there, there is that. Jordan was a very proud individual. Um, he was pretty self-sufficient. Um, he wouldn't have wanted to burden um, his family or loved ones or even friends. And, and ultimately, his, his choice for doing what he did was, was for that reason. He didn't want to continue to burden uh, others. Um, so particularly from a male point of view, we know those issues are there. Um, but I would also say for, for a large number of, of women, and you know, we know that men make up 75% of all suicides in the UK, so it is the high proportion, but we mustn't forget that this happens to women as well. Um, and there are all sorts of reasons why, again, they, they feel the shame or embarrassment about having a mental health problem. They, they should be able to cope, whether that's at home, at work, you know, whatever they're doing. So there are similar issues um, and, of course, not least cultural issues that, that we have in, a, in our societies today where talking about mental health in, say, some of the Asian communities, for example, is really, you know, not talked about. I spoke to a young lady yesterday, 19 years old, um, in London, who, you know, comes from a, a, an Asian family and, and her father is saying, why are you taking those antidepressants? I just don't understand it. You know, why? So there are lots of lots of reasons, but but it centers around quite often the stigma still. Um, and we know that more than 90 percent of people that experience a mental health problem will experience some level of stigma surrounding that mental health issue. It's quite it's quite interesting you mentioned the Asian community. I interviewed uh, a lady recently who um, is um, American of Indian descent, uh, and she said she she grew up in India to the age of about nineteen, uh, and she said at no point ever in her life did anybody ever mention the word depression, yeah, or or any any kind of dis ease around anxiety. It just isn't spoken about. You just have to deal with it and go away in a corner, and it causes a problem. And one of the things that she thinks is really enlightened about the Western world, which kind of surprised me because, you know, in the 60s and 70s, everybody went to Asia to get enlightened and go and find their gurus and all the rest of it. But actually, she's saying that the Western world is much more enlightened because we have a language for it. Um, but I, I also have a feeling, I don't know what your view on this is, we have a language for it, but we have a language in terms of labels um, and we've stigmatized those labels. And actually some people take those labels and carry them with them as, as, as kind of a burden on their back, as opposed to this is a phase I'm going through and I can get help for this. And, and how do I get out the other end? Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. I, I remember writing an article on this uh, last last year uh, about being very cautious about self-labeling or labeling someone else. You know, um, to say I have depression, well, depression is a clinical diagnosis. Yeah. I may have symptoms that lead me to believe I, I may have depression or anxiety, but at the moment they're undiagnosed. So I just know I'm not feeling right. I'm just, yeah. you know, and, and this is how it's manifesting. So I, I firstly, I think it's really important that we talk about how we're feeling and how that's manifesting itself. But be very careful about saying I I have depression, yeah. uh, or, unless that's been clinically diagnosed, um, or you know diagnosing someone else. If oh, I think you've got depression, yeah. or somebody, somebody diagnosing you to say, oh, you sound as though you've got depression. I had that, and I went to the doctor. I'm on antidepressants. There now. we go. That, that, that's exactly what happened. So you know, I run a lot of workshops now around mental health. I don't work with the RAF. I don't work with companies in Europe now, um, and uh, you know and you know, when you have that conversation, if we go back to the point of talking with a close friend, 
which I think is really important, but and why why we need to educate ourselves better about mental health so that we can have those more open conversations if someone should approach us, we know what to say. But I, but I think it, it's really important that that as a friend, as someone listening, so on the other side of the coin now, that that we do listen. Yeah. Um, we then know how to signpost and support afterwards. That's really critical. But at no time do we do exactly what you just said. Say, but it sounds to me like you had depression. And I know Jim down the road. He went to the doctor's, got himself some tablets, and you know he's been fine ever since. You know, that's the last thing we want to be be doing, giving any kind of unsolicited advice. No, but I think. That. As a, as a friend or you know as a loved one, I think there is an intuitive desire or, or, or um, feeling that you've got to you've got to fix them. You've got to help. Yeah. The reason they're talking to you is because they want help. So you feel as though you should help. But I think, like you say, the, the difficulty sometimes is that the help, although well intended, is actually the wrong help and actually no help at all. Um, and I know. Um, from the work that I've done with um, neuro-linguistic programming and, and working with people like John Grinder and working on a no-content model and not imposing your map of the world on people. So you know, when you speak to me and you, you know, if you were to tell me that you were feeling you know, anxious or you, you, you weren't feeling right, you thought you had mental health issues, that's not for me to take your words and think, oh, I know what that means because I only know what that means to me. I don't know what that means to you. I'm more help to you if I just keep asking you open questions and just keep listening uh, and, and kind of let you just articulate everything on the outside, really, just to, so you have to process it whilst you're talking. Uh, and I think the most help I can give you is signpost you into the most, um, I want to say convenient, but it's not probably not the right word, the, the place where you feel most comfortable to start a journey of helping yourself through it, which is why I asked you at the beginning, you know, and I think going to somewhere like the jordanlegacy.com is a real soft place to start. I can go there, I can open it up and then I can take it to where I feel that I need to take it next. Yeah. It's a number of important points there. Um, I'll, I'll cover off. You're exactly right. I think first of all, open questions, listening. So, so important. Um, but also some very specific questions that you want to understand in that conversation um, and, and someone who's maybe experiencing, um, you know, fairly obvious depressive symptoms um, where you're concerned. So let's say you got to a point of concern, you know, you, you, you want to know, well, look, you know, have you spoken to anyone else? Currently? Have you spoken to anyone professionally? Are you currently taking any form of, of medication? And ultimately be prepared to ask that question. Can I ask you, right, you know, are you considering self-harm or taking your own life? And you've got to be prepared to ask that question if you have a concern. Because from my experience, the one thing that most people who are struggling want is someone that will listen to them, not judge them and understand them. That That's really what they want at, at that point. And it's almost a relief. And, and let's dispel these myths that are still out there that if you put the thought of suicide in someone's mind, they'll go and act on it. It's already there. There's enough research to, to say by asking that question, you will not impact in, in pretty well all the cases, uh, anyone deciding then as a result of that conversation to do that. So, um, so I think you've got to be prepared to ask uh, that question uh, and just explore, just tell me how you're feeling at that point when you feel you've got enough information. 
only then if you're equipped with knowing where to signpost, and that's the other important thing, uh, can you do that? And, and just on that, that topic, one of the things that was introduced to me as a tool last year by one of the partners, uh, Paul Vittles, who works with me at The Legacy, uh, where he'd worked with um, suicide prevention for many years, was he, he shared with me something called a wellbeing grid. Really simple. It's just a Word document with, with a column down the left-hand side. And that column uh, uh, is a list of all the people uh, or organizations, whatever it would be, that you could approach if you're struggling with your mental well-being. So that could be your mum and dad. It could be your sister. It could be a friend. It could be a cousin, uncle, aunt, whatever. It could be a professional service like Mind or Samaritans. It could be a GP. You, it, it's the sort of thing you would list when you're in good mental health. I think we should do this, to be honest. I think we should all have a well-being grid and call it that. We list all the people that we could approach. Then in three columns along the top, we just list what is the type of support they provide. Would they sit down with you? Would it be on the phone? You know, what would it be? Is it professional? Um, and, um, and, and how would that be, be delivered? And where, you know, would that happen as well? And if you think about that, if we all had this well-being grid in our families, at the time I started to feel in any kind of poor shape, I could pull out my well-being grid and say, right, this is where I'm at. Who do I need to talk to that I trust um, about this particular issue? The challenge is, and the same applies when people visit a doctor's surgery in crisis, is their head's all over the place in crisis. And at that time, you're not going to think, straight uh, who should I go and speak to or when you sit down in front of a doctor as Jordan did in tears you know 10 days before he took his life you're not in the right cognitive position to be able to really clearly articulate what's going on you just know you feel shit yeah I, mean, I guess I guess if if, if if we all created that kind of grid we we, we could almost set up the the people who are on that list are on that list. So if I had a list and say, you know, I mean, I've known you for 25 years and now I know what you do, it, it would be it would be a sensible place for me to make a phone call to you, Steve, because I know that, A, you'd listen and you'd, you'd get it and you'd understand. So if you were on the list, then I could flag up to you and say, Steve, you're on my emergency list. Is that okay? You say, yeah, it's okay. Then I, I've already preempted the fact while I'm feeling good. You know, the old adage of fix the, fix the roof while the sun's shining. Mm. Now, while, while I'm feeling good, then you know you're you're on the list. You accept that you're on the list. So when we when we need the people that are on the list, they're, they're kind of already set up for us. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I mean, even as I'm thinking and we're talking about this, Rob, and thinking, you know, every family should have kind of like a well-being charter in a way. <laughs> and, and, and there'll be some people listening to this who go, "Well, hang on, man, this is this surely this is going too far." Um, but look, you have buddies that you go running with or cycling with or golfing with and, and you share sports and physical activity. We're not we're not to, you know, we're very happy to go on Strava or an app like that and share our fitness activities and what we're doing and you know, where our heart rate is or you know, how many miles we've done and how quickly we've done. We're really comfortable doing that. But when it comes to mental health, which is, you know, arguably far more important, probably, uh, but let's say equally important. Um, we're not prepared to share that still. That's something that's very private to ourselves. And subsequently, unfortunately, it stays with some people and remains private till it's it's too late. But I think if we could start to have, you know, families 
um, and then schools and everywhere start to 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 really have this this process in in place. I call it an insurance. We all you know we all buy insurance. We don't you know we don't think we're ever going to use it, and we hope we don't because our premiums will go up. There's a free insurance, just something sensible to have if any of us are ever struggling. Let's get mum and dad involved with the kids. Let's write one as a family. Mm. And and hey, if we're struggling, there's there's your list. So yeah, I, mean, I guess it's it, it's a difficult one for people, like you say. People listening to this will be thinking, "That's nah, going too far. Why why would I do that?" Because they've not been touched by it. No. You know, they, they may have seen TV programs about it. They may have, you know, spoken to people. Yeah. But actually, and uh, to be fair, Steve, you might even have been in, in the same camp yourself. You know, yeah. up until suddenly you get that phone call to say that Jordan's taken his life. Yeah. You know, you've lost your son at 34. And you're thinking, how 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 did I not know that? Well, you know, Rob, I, it's, I, I have these kind of messages every day, every day. And, I, and I've got one that I've got, got to respond to that's come in to me this morning. Um, my mother worried about a 16-year-old son, and he's finally opened up. Um, yeah. um, uh, only recently, that he's, uh, in the last few weeks, that he's struggling with his mental health, but he's now admitted he's been struggling for, for a while, and he's having suicidal thoughts at 16. You know, I got a message the other day, you know, a 12-year-old lad taking his life. Wow. Says, says goodnight to his mum, tucks him in bed. His mum finds him in the morning. Um, you know, we knew Jordan had depression, but I didn't understand depression. Uh, and and so I would be dad when I talked to him because his mum, a mental health nurse of you know many years, um, she was having these kind of conversations with him, but also wanting to be mum at the same time. So being a little careful because Jordan could get quite um resistant uh if you push too far. So my job was, um, even though Jordan only lived 20 minutes down the road, he was quite a private person in terms of getting together with him was hard work. Um, but when we did go out to a beer or a concert, as we did in those last couple of months, um, the last thing I wanted to do when we were sitting and having a beer was, okay, John, um, first time we've seen each other for two or three weeks, how are you feeling? How's your mental health? That was my view at that time. Yeah. That view has changed. Yeah, I can imagine. But I mean, based based on your experience, I mean, I've I've sat down with both my kids. You know, my kids are twenty seven and twenty three, um, and I I would always consider that we've got an open relationship. But since your experience, I mean, I've sat down with both of them and said, look, you know, we think we've got an open relationship, but we really have. You know, there is nothing at all that, that you can. There's nothing I'm doing at any time of the day, as busy as you might think I am doing whatever. Right. Uh, even if I'm on the golf course, it doesn't matter. If you need me, then you just call and everything stops to, yeah. to help yeah. you. You know, there's, there's no burden in that. That's just part of how we support each other. I think that's so important, Robert. I think you know, if every family, you know, anyone listening to this now goes home and says, I think everything's fine in our family. But look, we didn't know. Most of the families I speak to had no idea this was coming let's just start having this open conversation and just say, look, we don't do this. We have a bit of banter. We eat tea. We, you know, we, yeah. we, we do whatever we do, but we never sit down and kind of have this conversation to say, look, the world's a challenging place at times. You may hit some bumps in the road. And I just want to say to you, as you've just put really well, whatever the situation, 
I want you to contact me and I want you to get in touch and I want us to be able to have an open conversation, whatever it is. And look, some people still won't, but more will as a result of that happening. But I think we we just get on with our lives. We get busy. Um, we plow through each day, watch the television, go to bed. Um, and, and I think it's time just to start, stop. And, and with those we love, start to have those more sensitive and open conversations and, and uh, yeah, just get back to a bit of kindness and love in the family. And uh, but, but even just even just having the conversation, just that delay in the thought process can have a massive impact. Because mm-hmm. I, I remember reading uh, recently, anecdotally, about somebody that was considering taking their own life and they were sat on the bus going to take their own life. And as they got off the bus, the bus driver asked them how they were and whether they're having a good day. And that stopped them taking their own life. That Mm. fact that that one person took an interest in them at that moment gave them a reason to live. Yeah. And, and, and kind of the flip side of that as well, Robert is, uh, um, you know, we've all got behind the wheel of a car and seen some stupid driver in front of us and cursed <laughs> at their driving. And 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 my view on that has changed a lot because I'm pretty certain that in the weeks following Jordan's death, I wasn't the best driver out there on the road. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we don't know that we never know what's going on in people's lives. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, and so that's my view on that. I, yeah, don't get me wrong. If, if there is an idiot out there, occasionally I will. <laughs> yeah, you know, home, but but less frequently now than I would have done uh, before, and 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 certainly it would never. Not that I was crazy with road rage, but you know, I just think look, they, they could have just got some news this morning, and that's why they just you know, <laughs> pulled out in front of me, whatever. But we we just don't know, do we? Um, and it, it's you know, it's, it's certainly opened my eyes to think uh, very differently. But, but you know, coming back to your point, just asking people how they they're doing. Um, you know, by a similar story, you know, again, an anecdotal conversation of a, of a shopkeeper um, with a young lady who just came to the till and all she put on the conveyor belt was a couple of boxes of paracetamol. Yeah. Nothing else. And that, and the woman was looking not too clever, really. And uh, the shopkeeper said, you know, do you really need those? Look? Uh, and it's just, you know, I, I think we just all have to be a little bit more aware and considerate and, um, and um, you know, just that simple act as you just described can save a life. You know, which is what yeah, we're I think it's it's a, it's a mindset, isn't it, to walk around with just to be. You you've mentioned it. You know, just be kind. Mm-hmm. You know, smile at people, ask people how they're doing. Um, I mean, my my kids think I'm nuts because I talk to everyone, um, and I, I think they just think that's an old person thing. <laughs> um, and, and it possibly is because you know you talk about road rage. You know, I've, I've definitely mellowed as I've got older. I do talk to everybody. Um, I don't think I've got to the stage yet where I'm the crazy old bloke who just mutters rubbish to people. But but those barriers that you have as youngsters, where you you know you feel embarrassed talking to strangers or whatever, they disappear as you get yeah. your more mature years, and you know you're happy to chat to people. Most of the people I interact with in the world are younger than me, anyway. So I, I have that confidence. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. Um, so just looking at the Jordan legacy, then. So you've set you've set the Jordan legacy up. What 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 are the aims and what what, what kind of work are you doing with the Jordan legacy? Uh, yeah, it's a question I ask myself most mornings. I wake up and try and quantify it all. But um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting project. We're just you know twelve months in, and and as part of me and my network online that I have, I was able to attract some really good people around me and. 
as a result of that, we, we've created a framework um, which initially was, was under the, the banner of, of a zero suicide community strategy. Um, because we use this word suicide a, a lot, and I must admit, even you know, my my dad get to a point where I think, you know, how many more times do I actually want to say the word today? But so we're kind of branding this under what we're calling um, hope for life now, um, and under that hope for life banner uh, will be a number of initiatives and projects that have been rolled out this year, which will culminate in a conference. I've just actually taken the plunge and booked uh, Harrogate pavilions here in a conference room for December the 1st, which will be a kind of uh, an inspirational day of hope, uh, but also with, with key speakers, but it will also be a celebration of what we've managed to achieve so far. And un under that heading, we're looking at a number of layers of a um, strategy that we hope will have a positive impact and a measurable impact on reducing suicides. So we, we're going out um, through the community. So initially, that'll be Yorkshire, where we're based. But if other people come to us and say, can we do something similar here? Absolutely. So we'll be using kind of evidence-based models to go out to the community to say, right, OK, is this an issue? Is this a concern for you? Um, here's our story. Um, what would you like to do to contribute? Uh, and whether you're an individual that says, well, I could do a fundraiser for you and go and run around my garden, great. Or if I say, well, actually, I, I could become a mental health first aider under your program because we're running a mental health first aid program with Mental Health First Aid England at the moment. Um, or whether it's a company that says we, we think we need some training in here or, and we need a zero suicide strategy within our business. Um, whatever it might be, we'll, we'll provide kind of the guidance and say, right, yeah, well, that's your project. Go and keep in touch with us. Let us know over the coming months how that's going. And we can showcase that at the end of the year with an impact statement. So I'm about to launch through an organization called Investors in Community based in Yorkshire on their website, a series of projects um, around this kind of community um, approach to preventing suicides. Another layer will be workplace wellbeing. So we'll be speaking to companies directly about what they're doing about the workplace culture, HSE legislation, all those kind of things. And then we'll be talking to the digital world um and i'm running another online event at the end of june for digital and life-saving systems so that's where we'll have tech companies ai companies uh on panel discussions talking about what they're developing and what they could yeah. develop around suicide prevention and um one other big event happening online another free event at the end of this month which is designing out suicide uh, where we've got a number of eminent architects and specialists in the built environment, construction um, environment, where we're talking about how do we design out suicide and, and rob something, you know, I, I know it'll be, it's right on your doorstep at the moment, of course, the Humber Bridge. Um, I was recently because of another two suicides just 10 days ago of 18-year-olds and... Um, <laughs> You know, I can't go across the Humber Bridge without thinking about the people. And, you know, when you walk across the Humber Bridge and you stand and you look over that railing, you think, yeah. where have I got to be mentally before I decide to jump off this? Well, you know, what what, what surprises me with that is I, I can't see that it's difficult to stop that. Just build cages. It's like the barrier is waist high. Well, this is what the debate... a five-year-old could get over it. This is what the debate is on on the on the thirtieth of April. The panel discussion is around how do we design out the ability for someone to be able to jump off a bridge, a car park, 
any kind of construction site that uh, we know people access, uh, an office block. You know, rather than just go building a, a barrier or a sign or closing it, as the Humber Bridge has done, how do we design out that ability in the first place while still having an aesthetically pleasing-looking bridge that people can drive and walk across? And you know, it's going to be a really interesting discussion because some of the architects I've spoken to already said this this can be done. Yeah, uh, and and you know, we're even talking we the the event on the thirtieth will be chaired by um, one of our partners, Dr. Liz Walder very well-known architect in the UK, who's already talking about um, the potential for us to be able to change the building regulations in the in England and Wales, particularly, yeah. to make this a mandatory requirement of architects um, when designing these kinds of structures to consider how they design out suicide. Yeah. So in terms of what I'm doing or what the legacy is doing, as I say, when I wake up in the morning and try and juggle all these things, um, it, it's about how do we look at a number of different layers uh, because there's never one solution. Actively get people to engage with this. So I'm not doing it all myself, yeah. so that we have these impacts in digital, in design, out in communities, and in the workplace. Um, they're, they're the kind of the areas that we're, we're rolling out now this this year, really. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So, so what, what kind of feedback have you had so far then on the work that you've been doing? Because you've been you've been operating now, uh, I guess, for just over a year, have you? Yeah, twelve months. I mean, and I think um, I, I think the most reassuring stuff is you know I, I get messages daily clearly um obviously very active on on linkedin but i, I suddenly get these emails that pop in every so often out of the blue um you know where people you know kind of thank me for sharing what i've shared or, or or for you know the events that we've run i know the last event we ran which was about creating retreats and safe spaces for people um it was a really emotional event you know the speakers that were on there who, who many of them set up their own safe spaces or listening yeah. cafes you know some of the emotional stories i mean you know people left that and, and messaged us afterwards just to say you know you've had a profound impact on my thinking around this and so i think you know what what keeps me going is the fact that i get these messages regularly um um because i mean even no bones about it life is still a struggle you know yeah. i i, I Sit behind me here with pictures of Jordan and his basketball trophies. And I talk to him every morning and I talk to him every night. I'm not a greatly spiritual person or anything like that, but I, <laughs> I do that. Uh, and, and, you know, to as if I need a reminder of why I'm doing this. Um, yeah. And then when I get those messages and like this lady that, you know, I'll reply to today, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm doing it and why I'll continue to, you know, to, to do it. And, um, you know, until we make a sizable impact on preventing suicides and i'm not naive enough to think we're going to save the world here but yeah. you know, one life saved every week is an achievement and um I, I know from the feedback that we've got you know that that is happening so um and that, that's really important fabulous so i guess and I'm, I'm just conscious of the time um if you could give your younger self and I'll let you choose what your younger self means to you, mate. Um, I know you've got plenty of options in terms of your, your younger self. Uh, if you could give your younger self one piece of salient advice, what, what would it be? Well, yeah, it is, I, know you, 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 I know you asked me this question pre, pre our conversation today, and it's, it's always a really interesting because there, there are quite a number of points in life where I go, right. Go, go, go for them all, mate. <laughs> give yeah, give, give it a timeline. Um, 
I think, and, and it's advice I need to give to to every young person now. I think, yeah, it is very clear. Like most people in life, we we chase this dream of of success, which you know, if we label what success means to most people, it's that I'm seen to be doing well. Yeah. So whether that's financial, whether that's having the best looking boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever it would be, the nice house, the holidays. We, we, we're in a society today where we're chasing, chasing almost perfection. And I'll come back to the young lady that we, I talked with yesterday. who And I asked her the question, I said, why do you think so many young people are struggling at the moment? And she said, it's competition. Yeah. Competition in schools. She said, what my younger brother is going through now, I didn't have to go through this constant change by the government in terms of expectations for grades and yeah. And then university and, and leaving with this whacking great loan and then wondering if, can I get on the housing ladder now because the houses have just gone out of reach and how will I ever have that house and a holiday? And and then I go onto social media and I see all these people, youngsters, have just suddenly set up a business overnight and they're making millions and, uh, right. and, I'm, not, and I'm not looking like them and I'm not achieving. Uh, and I think what I would say to myself is, is you need to – to be satisfied with who you are as a person. And I've got to say, I'm happier with who I am as a person today than I was 17 months ago. Wow. Um, and I think that's important. That, can, you, that's what, can you identify why that is? Yeah, I, I think because I think I've got my priorities right now. Yeah. 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 Um, that's the old adage, you don't know what you've got until it's not there, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely right. You know, you, you can't take all this stuff with you. I know we've heard that a million times. Um, you'll be remembered, you know, as Stephen Covey said, you know, you'll be remembered by the number of people turning up to your funeral and what they say about you when you're looking down yeah. from the, the roof of that place, wherever it would be. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it, it, it be kinder to yourself, I think, is is important. Stop trying to strive for kind of physical things in life and, and strive to be a better person. And it's hard, you know, as I say these words, and again, I just know people going, yeah, but I want that car. I want that house. You know? And I know that. Look, and, and there'll be, but there'll be someone who'll listen to this and go, yeah, that, that's right. You know? Yeah. But, but it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't actually change your life. You know, and I, I, I read a quote recently that, that I thought was very poignant in that, you know, I know people that have got so much money that they're lonely yeah you know and it, it you know it is you, you look from the outside and they drive the nice cars they wear the watches they live in the big house they go on the holidays they, they appear to have this fantastic life but you know we, we were saying earlier in this conversation but we've got no idea what's going on behind the curtains no and you know just a kind of final comment on this point Rob, is you know i've been able to read Jordan's journals they were never fully complete but enough there over the last year that he'd left in his house and those thoughts he was having. And um, um, and I think the thing that saddened us the most was his continual lack of self-worth, yeah. belief in himself, the fact he was consist- consistently not achieving in life, you know, yeah. documented. Yet to the outside world, he was achieving more than the most yeah. in all those respects. Um, so everything that he wanted to achieve in life, he ultimately... They they added to the pressure that he felt, and he ultimately took his life. Yeah, and it's a it's a fine, it's a fine line, isn't it? Because 
that that drive, that insecurity and that drive actually is what helps people become successful and achieve, you know, what they achieve in life. But for some people, it steps over the line and then it becomes a burden. Yeah, and I, I think I think it's the language, Rob, isn't it? It, it? You know, and we know this. You and I know this. We, you know, um, through what we've learned over the years, that that you know, where you're consistently saying, "I'm not achieving this," "I'm not achieving that." Um, that's just the wrong language. It's it's great to strive for things. I think that's really important, you know, as well, just to get balance in this. It's great to strive for things in life, but in a positive way that these are desires and if I achieve that I'll do everything I can to get there but the moment I start telling myself I'm failing in life that's the slippery slope yeah it's that internal dialogue in fact I, the, the last um, interview I did um, just recently and I've just posted the podcast yesterday uh, with a lady called Dale Stafford and her her takeaway or her her message really through the podcast was to own your success and your failures in equal measure you know, the, the the risk is we look at our failures and don't take credit ourselves for our success. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't we don't sit down often enough and say, "Well, I'm going to make what what have I got?" And you know, we've all heard the things. Yeah, there's always somebody worse off than you in the world, and all the rest of it. And that that's always true. But to sit down and consciously think, this, if, if this is as bad as it gets, it's not too bad. And for most of us, particularly, um, you know, in the Western world, for most of us to be able to sit down and look around us and think, do you know what, if this is as bad as it gets, it ain't too bad. I might not have a yacht, you know, in Saint-Tropez or in Mallorca or wherever people put their big yachts, Bonaco. You know, I might not be driving a Lamborghini. I might not be going on five-star holidays on private jets. But how many people do? Um, yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Yeah. So I think, I think that's sage advice, mate. And uh, we'll take that away. I think what I take away from... Uh, this conversation is that um, I like the idea, you know, let's be kind or kinder to e- to each other. Um, I think the the matrix is is a great idea, you know. Just you know, even as simple as just make a list of people that you can go to in various situations, and then flag it up and say, by the way, just to let you know, you're on my list, and just to let you know, Steve, you're on mine. Um, and and I think those two things would be massive. And then you you know your final advice in terms of go easy on yourself. You know you're doing okay. Yeah, really, really important. And just a point that that well being uh, matrix that I referred to is, is on the you know, the resources page and uh, uh, on the website as well. Oh, great! So if we go log jordanlegacy.com, we can we can download that matrix. Absolutely. Fantastic, Steve. Listen, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thanks very much for joining us and. Uh, let's get you back again if if we get to series two if we get any traction on this thing and we get to series two um, we'll have to invite you back for series two and updates on what's happening with the jordan legacy yeah, thank you Rob. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Cheers. thanks Steve. wow well before summing up, I, I just want to thank Steve once again for his courage and the work that he's doing in helping us all become much more aware of what we can do to help others. It's, it's a truly remarkable response to what must be the ultimate personal tragedy. So once again, thanks Steve from everybody. We really appreciate what you're doing. My takeaways from this episode are... Well, first of all, I think I've got a new perspective on suicide. 
and what we can all do to support each other. The idea of a support matrix is simple but brilliant uh, and I for one will definitely be sitting down with my family and putting one together. And remember, you can download one from thejordanlegacy.com. And Steve's advice for his younger self, and indeed to everyone listening, of go easy on yourself. Take stock. Look at and appreciate what you have got and what you have achieved. Appreciate the good things in your life. And don't burden yourself with unrealistic or unnecessary expectations, particularly your perception of what you think other people may expect from you. And in closing, I think I'd like to dedicate this episode to the memory of Jordan, who the world sadly lost on the 4th of December in 2019. Share this episode far and wide, and and let's help Steve and the Jordan legacy help as many people as possible, and let's see if we can't reduce the awful suicide rate in this country. Thanks for listening. Thank you.